Welcome to the Gospel According to with Ryan and Mike, a conversation designed to explore what makes the gospel good news in various books and topics of the Bible. All right, Ryan, well, we're continuing to talk about the kingdom of God as we have been all season. And in the most recent episodes, we've turned from promise to fulfillment. And we're seeing the way that the gospel tells us that these promises were fulfilled and they were fulfilled in these three acts or movements. Um, the first act being the son's rise to power. And that's the story we read about in the gospels, the story we talked about last episode. We see the, the son's present reign in the midst of his enemies. Um, that's the, the part of the gospel that we see uh, in Acts, the book of Acts, in the letters to Paul, the part of the story that we're still living in. And then that third act, the return of the son, the return of the king, and his final victory over the powers of evil and the resurrection and him handing over the kingdom to the father. And so today we're going to talk about that sort of second act or second movement in this divine drama of the promise of the fulfillment of the promises of the restoration of the kingdom of God and the present reign of Christ in the midst of his enemies. Uh, why don't you uh, hit the ground running for yeah, us? There's not much to talk about there. So no, 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 yeah. none at all. Yeah. Um, I think oh, central... me, actually, go ahead. I, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. You know, I'm going to actually take, no, I, I, let me add this though. What's interesting is this, it is probably worth prefacing this at the beginning this is the part of the gospel we live in, right? This is the, the part of the gospel story we live in now. Christ is reigning in the midst of his enemies. It's what Acts is all about. It's what the letters are all about. What I find really striking when I'm just, when I, whether you think about the sermons that I preach or classes that I, that I have, when I start talking about this part of the gospel with people, it's really new information. Um, We've Same not here. always talked about Same here. Christ reigning. I mean, yes, okay, Jesus on the throne at the right hand of God, that part of it, but particularly what I've been saying, the present reign in the midst of his enemies. And so I, I guess maybe it, it's okay if if anyone's listening and, and they're feeling like this is new categories, understand you're not alone in this, and that this is just for whatever reason, and I wouldn't begin to speculate, but for whatever reason, this is just something that hasn't been talked about enough, and yet it is the very center of the gospel story that Christ yeah. is reigning on the throne now as Lord and Messiah. And yet he's reigning in the midst of his enemies. And, and we'll talk about more of that later, but anyway, I just wanted to mention that. Yeah. I mean, totally, totally. Amen with that. That's resonates with my experience as well. Um, when you and I were planning this discussion, um, we both immediately said we have to talk about Psalm 110. Yes. Now, why do we have to talk about Psalm 110? Well, in Matthew 22, which in our last discussion, we were in Matthew, we're going to stay in Matthew a couple more times. It says in Matthew 22, 41, now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question saying, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. He said to them, how is it then that David in the spirit calls him Lord saying, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how then is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. Now, Mike, in verse 44, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Yeah. 
Where is he quoting from? Psalm 110. Okay. Verse? Uh, ver- well, just Psalm 110, but it's verse one, but yes. Yeah. yeah. The whole song. So, the whole song. Yeah. Is- so what is the most quoted verse from the Old Testament in the New? Uh, I think it's Psalm 110, verse one, but I would, you can even expand that. What's the most quoted passage in general at, or alluded to or echoed passage? And, and, you know, when you add verse four in there, you see that, I mean, basically the Hebrew letter is all around. Yep. I mean, anyway, I could just geek out on that part alone, right? Psalm yep. 110 is all over the Answer my question simply. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> which is the, which Old Testament verse is the most quoted in the New Testament? Yeah, Psalm one ten verse one. Yeah, that was easy. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and and I appreciate your your your, your infatuation with this because, um, <laughs> you know, at least well, in my thinking, yeah. if I were to come up with a list of Old Testament promises of Jesus Christ, um, definitely you have Isaiah fifty three. You may have Psalm mm-hmm. twenty two. I don't think Psalm one ten would be on most people's radar for one of the most important. But for the sure. New Testament authors, it was the most yes, important. It was absolutely. You, you know. I think we probably said this last season, but Psalm 2, Psalm 110, Daniel 7, if every Christian just anchored down in those passages and knew them well, and that would so equip us to read the New Testament better because those three are the, uh, you know, certainly at the top of the list of the most referenced, alluded to, echoed, quoted, um, even at a just image level, uh, even if it's not directly quoted that those cat those are category forming passages that are informing too much of the new testament to even quantify totally totally so let me just read it let me just read the whole song okay the lord says to my lord sit at my right hand until i make your enemies your footstool the lord sits forth from zion your mighty scepter rule in the midst of your enemies Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments from the womb of the morning. The dew of youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. All right, Mike, get us started. How is this leading forward to Jesus? Well, so so he's it's a step back picture of this king that would come and he's He's a king. It describes um, his rule. Probably one of the most important things about this passage is is the way it describes the nature of his rule. Um, You you know, we we are probably more familiar with the kingdom of God prophecies that talk about the, um, the glory of his reign, the power of his reign, the justice and righteousness and all that sort of stuff. Um, But this passage helps us understand, okay, when this son, this, this Lord, David's Lord slash David's son, you know, uh, how, uh, what would his reign be like? Well, it's not one of just bliss and peace and, you know, hammering swords into plowshares. It's one where there's enemies all around us, right? Um, Enemies all around and, and his reign will last until. Every enemy is made a footstool for his feet, and so the the 
precise purpose and nature and focus of his reign is is one in the midst of enemies. Um, and the duration is until these enemies are fully and finally defeated. Now we want to talk about hang on, you're you're muted. Yeah, so let me, let me try to situate this within the narrative. Um, yeah. So like in, in the Gospels, you have Jesus having his rise to power. Yes. And his cross, of course, is his coronation. You took it all yeah. through all this last time. Well, then at his ascension, yeah. um, which occurs at the end of Matthew, Acts 1, etc., that is then when he begins to reign yes. from the heavenly throne. Okay. Yes. Um, but but this is a paradoxical reign because now you have the Lord reigning, which is a good thing. Yeah. But in the midst of his enemies. Yes. So so we really have to wrestle with this for a second. Yeah. That when the w- one argument that's often used of the, the coming of the kingdom of Jesus is that. You know, the Old Testament anticipated a single coming of the Lord. I don't think Psalm 110 did. I think Psalm 110 anticipated the Lord to come, rise to power, receive the reign. And then once he has this rise to power, he is then going to reign until, until every enemy is made his footstool or put Mm -hmm. under his feet. Okay. The, the way I've, I've really tried to live this out in my own life then is to recognize we live in until. Yeah. Yes. We live in until. What I mean by that is the Lord has ascended and is reigning over heaven as the son of God, over earth as the son of man. And having reclaimed that authority is reigning in the midst of his enemies. Yes. And his and, reign and- from heaven is going to continue until every yeah. enemy is put under his feet. Yeah. And, and there's there's at least two angles I want to make sure we talk about in this. And one is, OK, then how are we meant to understand that conquest? And then the other is how this helps us uh, sort of situate ourselves in this in this act and understand things like suffering and all that stuff. But but maybe like the first part of sure, that. Go ahead. First, yeah, go okay. ahead. Go ahead. So, OK, he's king. He's reigning. And, and his his reign is marked by conquest. Enemies are all around. And he reigns until every enemy is defeated. Where we see this land, then again in the gospel story, how, how, what does that look like? Is is he this sort of uh, uh, conquistador? Is he this crusader? Is he this like rider on the white horse, just uh, crushing, destroying, defeating, violence, militarization, all that sort of stuff? Not no, at all. Not how all. how is not his all. reign? expanding well that's again what the story that acts is telling us this proclamation of jesus as lord and messiah and the kingdom of god and this repentance and forgiveness of sins is proclaimed and so he conquers through pardon and bringing others to allegiance right and so that's the nature of this right so important because again we hear the word conquest and in our post-colonial society are just so worried about that but go back to our discussions from revelation from months and months ago in revelation you have the word of god and the testimony of jesus marching forth through the earth that's how god is is is, is conquering his enemies it's not through the means that kingdoms of this world use but it's through the heavenly conquest of love Yes. That is how Jesus Christ is you reigning know, over and defeating his enemies. Yeah. The story of Acts, sort of Saul of Tarsus becomes this great example of this, right? He is this 
and this enemy of, of God's people. And yet this great enemy becomes the embodiment of the Messiah himself as his story comes to relive. Yes. The Messiah story, Bears you know, himself, so the scars of the Messiah, just an example of the way this King reigns in the midst of his enemies, not through violent conquest, but through pardon, through forgiveness of sins, through calling people to repentance and then becoming kingdom people themselves. Well said, well said, well said. All right. So next thing you want to take is two. Well, I guess let me add. So this is, this is a very practical, you could even say pastoral point. Let, let me, before I jump there though, is there anything else you want to flesh out about Psalm 110 itself? And yeah, I mean, obviously the only other thing I think we have to point out is this is talking not only of a king, but this is talking of a priest. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Psalm 110 is talking of a priest king who will come, who will restore humanity in every way. Um, Yes. As you said, Hebrews is going to look at verse four and really uh, Hebrews five through 10, I would say, is all about this. Um, It's this unpacking of the priesthood of Jesus Christ. Um, So so, so we have to recognize he is king and that's more central to our discussion today. But he's also priest. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I guess the the other thing I want I wanted to make sure to, to at least just say is is. So not only is this helping us, you know, just with a understanding of the Bible at a theological or rational or whatever you'd want to describe there, but, but why this is so important for us is, is understanding where we live in the Bible story so that we can set our expectations correctly. Right. Um, Sometimes there's this tension when we talk about the victory of the Messiah to say, okay, he won a victory on the cross, but man, I still face temptation. Uh, there's still death. There's still suffering. There's still all sorts of pain and, 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 and realizing like, that's not because something went wrong. That's not because of whatever reason you insert, but that this is the exact intention of how God would bring his kingdom the re- and restore his kingdom was not that Christ would just come and do a once for all defeat of enemies, but that he would win that decisive battle over sin at the cross and then continue to advance through this proclamation of forgiveness and repentance. And so that tells us if he reigns in the midst of his enemies, as we come to Jesus and live lives of allegiance to to him, that we're we're doing so in the midst of enemies as well, and so we need to set our expectation level to to realize sin, temptation, persecution, um, sickness, cancer, uh, you know, economic problems, all, all these sorts of things and stuff we talked a lot about in our Revelation series. Right? Those are not. Oh no, what's happening? As much as we hate it, as much as we don't want it, and and we don't glory in it but that's just the reality of living in this present evil age still where the enemies are still at work where enemies are still at work yes but but again god's program christ's program is not to just defeat them through domination and destruction but to win them, to love them, to forgive them and pardon them. And so yeah, that's, and, and, that's and, what God's and if doing. I can is, a one-liner in here that's helped me. Yeah. Um, the, I think the New Testament teaches that 
we live in the stage where evil has been defeated, but not destroyed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's what it means to live in until um, yeah. I see evil defeated in my own heart and in the yeah. lives of others. And we yeah. need to look individually and in, in small communities to see evil being destroyed. Um, yeah. Evil has been defeated but it's yeah. not going to be destroyed until the Lord returns. And we have yeah. to hold on to that, or we're going to have some very bad expectations for yeah. what kingdom life looks like. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so, so Mike, let, let, let's then try to make this practical. We live it until Jesus Christ is reigning from heaven. Yeah. What in the world does that mean for us? <sighs> He's on the throne, right? You know, it's, if, if you think about, Again, all the stuff that hits us in life, Jesus is still on the throne. Jesus is still restoring his kingdom. If we're allegiant to him and walking with him, he, he's got us, right? And, and there's nothing that, that can be done to, to thwart his purposes, to undermine his reign. Um, you know, honestly, as you, as you ask that, I, I want to say just let's, what if we just close with reading Rome, the end of Romans eight? Absolutely. Great. Idea. I mean, to, to me, Great that idea. just, that captures the heart of this um, as, as well as I could ever possibly say it. Um, are you good if we pick up and say like verse 14 and just read it? It's Romans eight. So you can read it five times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Romans eight. Uh, verse 14, for all who are being led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you've not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will also be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but we also have the first fruit of the spirits. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we've been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he already sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. In the same way, the Spirit also helps with our weaknesses. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to God. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. 
And these whom he also predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he is also glorified. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Messiah Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Messiah? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it's written, for your sake, we're being put to death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Messiah Jesus, our Lord. Thanks for listening to the Gospel According to Podcast. If you have any questions about what you heard today, please send us a voice message. We would really love to hear from you. Make sure you follow us on social media, subscribe, and click the bell to get notified when we drop a new episode. Until next time, and for all time, your God reigns.